It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. When the season starts, because it will start, that's when it gets hectic. The past year hasn't been bad because there's been no football. Once the season starts, look out. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. And we have a very special guest, Roy Rosmus, who has written five books on the history of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Roy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Don. Five books. That's a lot to write. How did you maintain the focus? <laughs> well, that is pretty amazing to me, especially now when you say the word focus at my age. Uh, it's it's a passion. You know, I've, I've been a Bomber fan for over 60 years. It started with uh, the Kenny Plain era in 56. And uh, all the way through our 50-year season ticket holder, little disagreement, didn't like the way things were going after a while. And I packed it in a few years back as a season ticket holder, but still watching and it all started at a variety, uh, uh, variety children's charity in Manitoba. I was doing fundraising, and I started this dinner at Earl's here called the Hearts of Blue and Gold to have bombers come out uh, present and past. I got to meet my childhood hero, Kenny Plain. And I'm sitting there talking to him, and suddenly dawns on me, there's nothing anywhere about this guy put together in one spot. I got together with uh, sports writer uh, Scott Taylor because I needed his writing because I'm a storyteller. He's the writer. I did that book, Quiet Hero, the Ken Plain story. And then I thought, what about the rest of Barmer history? There's nothing anywhere. So I started digging in. So 12 years later, the fifth book is uh, in progress now, getting ready to do it. And we've taken the history right from 1930 to 2019. So 1930, I imagine you're not looking up uh, anything but newspaper stories, maybe some folklore. Well, pretty lucky that some of you fantastic researcher that found me all kinds of stuff. I was aware, again, being a Bomber fan, there was a lot of things I was aware of. I started hunting down families. Uh, the great Fritzy Hansen, I got his daughter in BC. Uh, a guy by the name Arthur Stevenson was a hell of a hero here. I found his daughter in Phoenix. Then I started pulling up newspaper accounts and finding the stuff and piecing it all together. And then we have a fellow here in Winnipeg, Bud Irving. 95 years old now, I guess. He played in uh, four great cups, and he goes back a long way, so sat with him, and then pieced it all together and, and did that first book, 1930 to 1967. That must have been a lot of effort to track these people down and uh, get them to get that information to you. Yeah, it was, but you know I, what I'm finding, and I'm uh, eternally grateful, and, and it makes me feel good about all the work, because these guys... Whenever I talk to either families or people or the guys from the eras, and I've become friends with a lot of them, they love what I'm doing. Nobody's ever done anything like this before. Because my books are historical, but they're based on the players who are the franchises. So you're tell I'm telling their stories like they've never been told before with the background, with the action. I've got pictures nobody else has got. I've had interviews nobody else could get. And you piece them together, and they're, they're pretty damn thrilled about that, pretty grateful. So that's made it easier, but it's been a 12-year project. 12 years. Uh, would that be 12 months of every year, or would there be certain slotted times where you'd have to go out and say, okay, I've got this available, I can do it now? 
Well, I guess in some ways you could almost say 12 months because I was, I, uh, I'm kind of a OCD that way. It was always on my mind. I'd find something and I'd pull it off and I'd, and then I'd put it in the file. And then I do this. The writing, when it got really serious, was maybe from start, when, when I got ready to go, it would be a good five to six months. And then you mentioned you had help with the writing. Yep. How, how was that collaboration? How did that work? It's working. It's still working on this last book. Uh, Scott hit it off. Scott was at those dinners. And I, I turned to him and I said, Scotty, my friend Wayne said I should write because I know more about the bombers than anybody else. And I said, well, I can write and I can tell stories to start with. And secondly, I need a lot of help with it. So Scott said he'd be, he'd be happy to help. So between the two of us, we do it. And then some of my stuff, he'll change, but I don't mind. He knows what I'm symbiotic. He knows what I'm thinking. So yeah, it's been a, a great help. So when we go back to the 1930s, you mentioned Fritzy Hansen. He was one of the stars of that era. Yep. Of course, uh, Western teams were having a heck of a time winning Grey Cups, and it wasn't until Winnipeg broke through. Yep, in 1935. It's a, it's a, I got a story in the book. It's just an unbelievable story, and especially the especially the club at that time, the businessmen in this city. Um, just a couple little things about the book. Basically, you could say that Winnipeg changed uh, Canadian football history with that first great cup and the first from the West. Um, because after that, everybody started getting on the bandwagon about imports. You see, imports in those days were coming here. Okay, here you pick one there, you pick one here. The boys in Winnipeg got together and said, okay, look, you know what? We're going to do this the right way. We're going to look at positions. And we're going to go after them. And they had seven, seven or eight imports, I think, on that, on that 1935 team. There's something interesting that's always stuck in my craw. One of the one of the best things, and I don't know this about other other CFL cities, although I would imagine there are quite a few. I think Winnipeg's probably the city that's got the most what we call play and stay. And these guys who came here, and that's what they were looking for. They were looking for guys that weren't just coming here to play the game, go home. They were looking for guys who would fit into the lifestyle and socioeconomics of, of Winnipeg. And that's what built it. So in fact, your team. I uh, got some information on that too. Your team was the only other team that did it the same way as Winnipeg. You guys, uh, your your guys were doing it. They picked up on what Winnipeg did and got involved in it. They were the ones that uh, said, "Okay, we're going to do what Winnipeg does." And then the others finally caught on to that. But it was it was the bombers that started everything that eventually led to. Because, in fact, I've got the article. The guys here in Winnipeg looking at it, saying, "You know what? Okay." We've done, we've poured our money. We've done everything we can. If we can't bring home a great cup, we're probably going to drop out. In other words, back in those days, uh, there was really Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. Then you had Calgary in and out here and there. They were there sort of. Uh, Edmonton was in and out. Maybe BC a little bit. They were. So really, if Winnipeg hadn't won that cup, maybe, and dropped out, you'd have had basically one team. Uh, the CFL, I don't think, would have ever seen the light of day the way it did after that Grey Cup, and then two more subsequent ones in '39 and '41. Because if you figure it, Calgary, the only other uh, Calgary never won a cup till '48. Would that league have lasted from 1930 to 1948 without a Western Grey Cup? I doubt it. It really makes you wonder because you're coming off the heels of the Depression. Yep. And World War II is not that far away. Right. Well. They were dedicated, these guys. They were dedicated here. And they were pretty dedicated in Saskatchewan. And, and I might put a note in here, Don, for a second, because uh, 
being our prairie rival. Now, I'm not one of these guys. Unfortunately, too many kids today hate the hate, hate. I don't hate the Riders. I love them. They're my second favorite team. Boy, Ronnie Lancaster, I hated him so much, but I loved him. Him and Reed, uh, Dushinsky, Warden, uh, Barwell, the miracle of Taylor Field. I mean, I used to come out there and school some of your people when I'd come out to the annual Labor Day game and make my walk of shame to and from the game. Back in those days, it was even then. It was even then. I've got a story in the book. There's this, there's this uh, uh, a guy played for Winnipeg, Rosie Adelman, great guy. And uh, they were in the hotel in Saskatchewan getting ready for their actual game. And, and then, then they were hundreds were traveling by train from Winnipeg even then for this particular game. He comes off the elevator. Everybody's cheering. The Saskatchewan fan comes running through and clocks him. And he, Rosie goes down on the heap. The guy takes off. Bomber fans are chasing him all the way down the street. There was so much, and I don't mean this in any demeaning way, but there was there was real, real hate in a sense in that day because Saskatchewan looked at it and said, okay, look, Winnipeg, big shots, jewel of the West. Look at these guys. They got everything. Well, they ain't going to have football. And so it was, it was warfare. There was... There was biting on the field. There was screaming. There was scratching. There was going at each other like you wouldn't believe in those days. That's an intense rivalry. It is for sure. It's a lot more fun. I, I have fun with it. Like I said, when the Bombers used to get knocked out, Ronnie and the boys I pulled for that 66 great cup. I loved And while the miracle of Taylor Field, though, was one of my favorites. Yeah, the 1963 game against Calgary. Yeah, Calgary. Yeah, after being down 20-some point coming back. And I watched that TV. I was going bonkers. Plus, when you have the new guys, eh? Barwell, Warden. Campbell, Reed, Lancaster, Ford. Uh, defensively, I can't remember except for maybe Ted Dushinsky. I, I wasn't following. I mean, there's Evan Porters, but I, I don't know if he was back then in the early 60s. And Ron Atchison, the man everybody hated. Atchison, yeah, the cast on his arm, which was his bludgeon. Yeah, back then, yeah. It's a an era that I I agree with you. It doesn't get enough press. And that's reason. that's the reason. Now and for all time, it'll be in print. The books have been going to the Library of Canada. I'm very proud of that, giving the guys a voice and giving them a, a, a visual. Like my, my book. In fact, one of the things I've been using lately is your guys. I don't know. I, president, I can't remember who it was at uh, the new stadium. It falls right into line because your boys are thinking, right? Apparently, there's these photos, you know, of different players in different eras and, 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 they were asking about this and they said, we put that up there because we want the young players to come in here, look at that and say, I want to be up there like that one of these days. See, you got to, you got to be smart. We don't do enough of that. I'm not, I've been doing this on my own. I, the, the only, the only time uh, back when, I don't know if you remember Jim Bell, 2000, he was the CEO. That's when I wrote the first book. And uh, he took one look at that. He said, we got to have that book. We're going to carry it in our stores. We're going to do everything we can to help you. He understood the value of the Ken Playman. Since then, it hasn't been much help. So basically, it's been the three of us, me, myself, and I. And then, well, then I'll put Scott in there too for uh, do, doing, doing this project. We talk of the Bombers, but back in the 30s, they were known as the Pegs before the Blue Bomber name came to them. How did that happen? Yes and no. It was... It, it was, it was, the pegs were short. They were actually called the Winnipeg Winnipegs. They were the Winnipegs. Uh, I guess I laugh at it. I guess that's the imagination of the day. They're from Winnipeg. We'll call them the Winnipegs. And, and so that's just the way it went. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, okay, that was 19, 1936. 
till 36. Yeah, right after the Great Cup. Vince Leah, the storied sports writer, was watching a, a game and, and the boys were stomping on somebody. He, he looked down at field. He said, look at those blue bombers. The takeoff was on the brown bomber, Joe Lewis, the way he was punching. And that's, that's the name stuck ever since. But before that, and I'm, I, you know, it's really neat. Actually, I've, I do a lot of things with memorabilia. I've created a uh, 1935 jersey with a 1935 cup on the sleeve, Dominion of Canada champs, the only one of its kind, using that W. I don't know if you've seen it. If you haven't seen my books, it was a, a swooping kind of W. And that was the only time the Bombers ever wore that W on their jerseys in the 1935 break. Well, they wore it that year. And then after that, it was gone. They went to numbers and that. So it's, there's another part of history. That's fascinating. I'm, I'm big into uh, helmet decals and things like that. So anytime there's a logo out there, I want to learn about it. Oh, you know, after we're finished here, I'll send you some stuff. I'll send you a page or two from the book. You can have a look at them and see what you think. And from there we go. Awesome. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. The Bombers were the team from about 1957 to 1964 or 5, somewhere in there. They and the Ticats met time and time again, but after the first game, the Ticats were not going to be winning anymore. No, they weren't. They weren't. Uh, that 57 game, that was my first great cup on TV. My poor little heart was broken. But we were, you talk about stats. Uh, you wouldn't have figured there was any Tiger Cats in the game based on the stats, except we had six fumbles and two interceptions that they got. And Kenny Plain was playing injured. And half the team was in sick day. But then after that, and there's another thing sticks in my craw. 58, 59, 61, 62. Well, 1960 should have been five great cups. No, that year we went 14 and two. Kenny Plain gets a broken thumb. The third game against Edmonton to go to the Grey Cup. It's third and one, I think, or whatever it was. And there's basically no time left on the clock. He calls a keeper, which he still hates himself for. Because as he goes into the line, he gets the first down, but someone hits that finger, the ball pops loose. Edmonton kicks a field goal. And I guess they won, I think it was four to three. And that cost us five. I don't know. And yeah, it was we call we call the golden years here uh 57 to 67 although the last cup was uh, 65 for kenny plain but he was always still in there and that's when you guys started to take us out in those days <laughs> i well the riders started to take them out but then the problem with the riders was they won 66 and then <laughs> they just didn't win again until 89 i know and i would be remiss if i didn't tell you exactly boy there's a lot of hate going on here I'll, 1972 as long as i live as long as I live, because I'm in, I'm in that side of the stadium, and two things cost us that game for sure. Mickey Doyle going down with a broken ankle, because then they ate up the linebackers. They didn't have a chance with Reed running after Doyle was gone. And the beginning of the second half, second half, I think it was, Jonas marches down the field. He's right, up, right to the goal line. Everybody goes one way. We got this pickup guy that they brought in, Ross Richardson, in the end zone with nobody within 14 miles of him, and he drops the ball, so we get a field goal instead. So there's four points. And then, of course, the kicking in and out, and the no yards, and this and that. I was sicker than a dog. I, I'd had a couple, and uh, that didn't. So, uh, yeah, 
that is one of the most famous finishes in a Western playoff game of all time because Abinchant misses. Yeah. Winnipeg kicks it out. Lancaster gets the ball, <laughs> tries to kick it back in. Anyone who hates the Rouge, I wish some tape of that game was out there. I was on Twitter the other day when somebody said that. I said, you grab yourself a video of that. You watch that. And if that don't, that don't make your ears fall off then you don't understand football because that was a that was a beautiful thing which by the way i must say you can pass on to mr fajardo now you know how we feel yes the famous doink <laughs> yes the doink yes <laughs> and uh, sadly that's the last sound that that stadium has heard in two years now we're hoping that we're going to be playing this year i'm hoping too so the other books just so you know have you have you do you know the titles of the other books I'm sorry. It'd be great if you could give them to me. Sure. Well, okay. By way of explanation, there's five, but really four on the history from 30 to 2019 because Kenny Plain deserved his own book in his own era, okay? But it shows up again in the other books, so it would be a companion book to Volume 1, which is 1930 to 1967. Volume 2 is Mr. Uh, Mr. Jonas, the Jonas era, till 74. Uh, volume 3 is uh, Dieter Brock through the championship years. So we go through the three great cups in the 80s. And then the last one, uh, 1991 uh, to the present 2019. Actually, it's called Good Years, Lean Years, The Cup Returns. So that's those are the titles of the book. And where do you find them? Most of the books you can find in the stores if there are any left because I'm getting low. But this last book I've done differently. It's always been trouble for me. It's always been hard financing stuff like that. So I did it a different way. I decided I'm not going to print a bunch of them because I, I got to pay 40, 45% in a store. And then there's the cost to put it through. So I'm doing a limited edition. So if anybody's listening there and they want, or anybody wants to know, limited edition, it's going to be a $50 book. It's got like 40 pages of break up. I'm even including all the bomber coaches and the media and that to sort of finish the history. And uh, I'm asking people to, to email me if they want. The deal is, if they want, I'll take your name now. In the next little while, month or so, I'm going to ask for a $20 prepay because I want to make sure the commitment's there. And then $30 when the book comes out later. So I'm telling people, ain't no stores. Ain't nowhere except right here. This is me. So, and I'll be cutting off orders. I, I don't know, fairly soon, I guess. Uh, not right away, but fairly soon. So that's the only way to get this final book. Fair enough. It, it is a, a tough go when you're having to fund it yourself. Oh, well, hey, listen, for sure, people. And I always answer the question before people ask it. Do I want, did I, do I want to make money? Yes. Did I? No. Uh, it's cost me, in fact. But you know what? I've been able to pull it back, make a little here, make a little there. I'm maybe getting close to even after 12 years. God bless them and the history is there and I did what I could. So let's get back to football. Sure. Kenny Plain, what type of person was he? You obviously got a chance to talk to him and see him play. Uh, you know... I quote in my book, people say there was no Ozzy and Harriet. I say you're wrong. They're here. They live in Winnipeg. And their name are Ken and Janet Plain. It's honest to God truth. Like his daughter wrote the forward in the book, why are we writing this? And he says, I realize people need to read this. No drama, no contract disputes, no extracurricular, anything. The guy is as solid as the guy. I, I, and he's my friend. now. You know what I mean? He's my childhood hero. So yeah, he's people you ever, ever want. The last time I was at a game in Winnipeg, he was still out there signing autographs. I, uh, that's pretty good for all these years later. No matter where. 
Kenny playing boom, 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 boom. He, he's just there for everybody. He's there for the club. He gave me this huge scrapbook with uh, every newspaper article all the way through all the years, which really helped me right too. So, I mean, yeah, he was, he was wonderful. He was pretty thrilled, pretty thrilled about it. So if we move away from the first book, we get further along. Don Jonas, of course, is very famous in Winnipeg. Did you get a chance to talk to him? Did you? Yeah, first, friend number two. I've uh, been, <laughs> been, been to his place in Florida. Takes me to the local pub with the book and tells everybody, look, look, this guy wrote this, this guy wrote this book on me. And then I had him come into Winnipeg for the book launch. And um, we were over here for dinner. And again, Donnie's my buddy. Uh, he, he was, if we kept him, just didn't work out in those days at the club and he was in PD and a few other things and it didn't quite work out. They loved it here. They wanted to stay here. They had to go back. But yeah, he's another one. And then once he leaves, it's Dieter Brock and that arm that could throw the ball a mile and a half. Oh, yeah. yeah, the Birmingham rifle. Yeah, unfortunately, an enigma. I chatted with him too, only chatted with him. Southern boy was, he cared 150% on the field. Okay, for his teammates. And and the way he puts it, quote, well, you know, I would do what the bombers would ask me to do. And that's fine. Kenny Plain went and looked for things. Jonas went and looked for You know, he was different. He was a little little more backed off. Still got to hand it to him. I mean, he, he kept this close and he ran into the teeth of the Edmonton dynasty. I could go through that too, those games. I mean, John Hilton probably never had a roughing penalty in his whole life. And they give him one at the end of the game when we got them. I, I, I was going to go through the TV. Joe Forkwein, somewhere he comes running out in the field with uh, Mike Holmes streaking, waiting for the ball in his hands to win the, the Western final to go to the cup, and he tips the ball away. So those things happen. That's the last reel. After that, you know, you got your Clements, uh, Salisbury. Now, having said that, I got all kinds of oodles of information I can't tell you or anybody else that the boys trusted me with about these guys like Salisbury and the rest of the guys and um, Tom Burgess. And it really wasn't, again, a big thing. Well, done again, bigger than life. Great guy. So, yeah, you know, those, those are, and, and you could even say, um, I've got a special spot in the book for Matt Nichols, too. I don't think he gets enough credit either. And I want to make sure he gets good credit. Kahari Jones is a friend of mine. Uh, he worked with us in, in uh, Variety a lot. I contacted him about the book. He's pretty thrilled. He wants to be involved with me. So, a bunch of good guys. Well, I imagine a book like this, you can't get very far unless you've got goodwill. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, and you're right. The players just, they love it. I'm careful. I mean, I, I, I will tell the truth about things. I sometimes give my own perspective. I say it's my perspective, you know, but I, especially when I write about them, I send it to them and say, take a look at this. What do you think? So you give them a chance to vet it as it were. And then. Yeah. Love them. yeah, yeah. Leo Lewis, he's another in the uh, Winnipeg history. What type of person was he? Again, he was very uh, self-deprecating type of guy, a real gentleman. And uh, he was always there for, uh, for people too. And unfortunately, like he had a, wasn't a nice ending, but he was around for a long time and he would always come back and he would be part of things too. That team, as Kenny said it, and Janet, the, the era, I think also lent itself to that. Because they were truly like you'd see in the TV movies. The wives did everything together while the husbands were doing everything together. They were a really, really close-knit group. So, yeah, they were all, I mean, well, you had your stallions. You had your wild people in there, but they kept them under wraps more or less in those days. And uh, But, yeah, he was, a, he was a gentleman. 
it's interesting you you mentioned about how close the team was because in that era, teams stayed together much more than they do now. You didn't have a, almost a complete roster turnover every three years. No, you don't, but you're also touching on something else. That's, uh, and I, I don't care who agrees with me. First, number one, you get that bloody two-year contract back, not one year with an option, two with an option like it used to be. Hey, where else are they going to go to get seen by the NFL? They're going to come to what you're doing is it's to the point now where the guy plays one year and instead of holding him to the auction, they say, well, okay, we're going to let him go because we're nice guys. Why? You're nice guys. You got turnover like a revolving door. You wonder why sometimes fans don't get as excited about going to games and staying and becoming part of it. You buy a jersey one year, the guy's gone the next year. You buy a jersey every two years. I'm not seeing everybody, but it, it, it's a fundamental difference in the way things are nowadays. That's why when you get a team like Winnipeg's got right now, they're very close. Now, and they got most of the guys, a couple other guys went to the state, so there's a good chance there. So, yeah, that's, that's a different, completely different era. And, and it's, I think it's one of the unfortunate problems the CFL has, and I think they got to smarten up that way. One of the pangs that I've heard coming out of Winnipeg is that had 2020 been played, there would have been another Grey Cup. Is that something that you agree would happen? I would have to say the chances, I, I watched what was happening good guys for the NFL. But Walters did a good job of finding some good replacements and, and closing the ranks. And the love for O'Shea is here and the love for each other is here. So I would have to say good chance, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe even 80%, 85%, I would have figured. Because that team, I mean, I don't know what the other, I think the other teams lost some other players and stuff like that. But yeah, there would have been a pretty good opportunity. In fact, there may even be this year, although, I don't know, this will probably, whatever happens this year, whatever they do get off, it'll be an asterisk season. So, you know, but hey, hey we, we get to be, we get to have, the, okay, what are we, we're great cup champs two years in a row, one year without playing. <laughs> For the reader that does go through and, and read your books, What's the big takeaway that you want for them? Yeah. Other than telling the story, what do you want them to be impressed by? Well, that's a, that's a really great question. I, I, I don't know that I necessarily want anybody to be impressed. I want people to be um, um, interested. I want people to, to pick up information. I want people to get to know, uh, know the team is more than just 2019 or 1991. And all these players they might have heard about but never saw, they get a chance to see. Because that knowledge, it's like the Green Bay Packers say, it's a trip. Uh, their, their museum has a treasure trove of knowledge. And when you do that, it helps you. I think it helps you maybe tie better to the players of today. Uh, I always think about Adam Big Hill. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, all those kids who don't know Blue Thunder. Uh, Tyrone Jones and, and those guys. And then the guy who made linebacking sexy was Phil Minnick and never won a great cup. So they start reading about these guys and go, oh, wow, this, there was another Adam Hill. There, there, there was a this, there was a that. To me, that makes you uh, more involved with your team or getting more involved with your team, maybe asking more questions. So that's really what I want. Uh, you know, Scott, Scott said to me the other day, and I never even thought of it, but he said to me when I was, and hawing about this last book because of the funds involved. I had the 
had the uh, rough manuscript I was just going to sit on. He said, no, he says, you got to finish this race because that's your legacy. And I thought, well, okay, I'll take that. Yeah, I'm not looking for statues or anything else. But the point is, you know, we all look for a little something. And I guess, yeah, forever and ever and ever, I'm going to be there. So I'm proud of that too. And I'm proud of the fact that the, the boys like what I'm doing. And that's um, that's the biggest thing. And, and, want all of Canada to know. Here, here comes. Greatest franchise in CFL history, and the, the, the only one with a complete set of books of their history, visually stunning, all the way down the line. I hope other CFL cities pick that up and do that. That would be wonderful. I, I would love to see every franchise have that kind of legacy in books. Yeah, exactly, for sure, right? I mean, you know, uh, it's kind of funny because I'm not enough now, not anymore as much as I used to, but I probably knew as much about the riders as I did the bombers in the early days. But And I know there's a book that came out, 100 Years of Riders, which is interesting. But again, it's not the same. You got to see my books to understand uh, what I've tried to do here, what we've done here to tie this whole thing together, to give you the full view of what this franchise is, what, and what it meant to the city, and what the city meant to it, and the guys that started this thing, and out of their own pocket, and the blood, sweat, and tear. I mean, it's, it's a complete... I say in this booklet, we are Winnipeg, Winnipeg is us. So that that's what I hope. So how do people participate? How do they get any of the books and namely the last book? How do they get a hold of you? Well, uh, my email, rosmus, R-O-S-M-U-S, at shaw.ca. They inquire. I'll send them information. They can decide whether they, they want to get involved. They want to get a book. I, I, I got from the States. Like, I even sold a book in England. So, you know, they can, they can contact me. Um, some of the books, down to the end, almost to the end of the Kenny Plain, I don't have many of those left. Uh, I got other ones in my inventory. So they can either, they could go to say chapters here in Winnipeg or chapters where you are in order through Winnipeg or Indigo, uh, but they can also contact me directly. And where do people find you on Twitter? Uh, heart, it goes heart, O, blue gold. Or Royal Blue. I'm there all the time because, oh, by the way, one of the reasons being an old fart and not understanding any of this stuff, I, I went on Twitter anyways because it got me in touch with the younger people. And that's another thing. Younger people got so much interest in what I'm doing. They love the idea that I can learn about my bombers and not just know one era. So those are the two places for now. You sort of hinted at it before, but the whole idea of bringing history alive is to make it more personal. Exactly. In fact, I've got grand, grand expectations. I'm too old. I'll never make it probably. But I think, especially the bombers in their history, that there should be a Winnipeg Blue Bomber Hall of Fame and Museum here along the lines of what I consider to be their equal in terms of uh, city size and that. You look at the Green Bay Packers, look at what they've done. And that's what I'd like to see. Who knows? Maybe I'll start trying to fundraise that. I'll be out there with my my tin cup and Don trying to get money. All right. Great talking to you, Roy. Thanks so much. Thank you, Don. It was great talking to you too. And I'll send you some stuff by email. Let's keep that. We'll do. Thanks, Don. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.